This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 96 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. So today is New Year's Eve, and we are about to kick off 2022, and I have with me in my podcast studio, Luke, my youngest, my 12-year-old, and we're going to share some of our awesome adventures we had just a few months ago on some different hunts. So when it rains, it pours. We have been applying for lots of different drawing hunts and hoping to get youth hunts and all these opportunities. And we've not been drawn, not been drawn over and over year after year, never been drawn. Then all of a sudden, Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving, we had three hunting opportunities. We had no, we had four hunting opportunities. We had a doe hunt. And then from the doe hunt, we went straight over to a pheasant hunt. We came home, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and the very next day, we did a duck hunt. We came home for a couple of days, and we ended up going on a youth exotic deer hunt at Guadalupe River State Park. So Luke is here with me. Hey, Luke. Hello. We're going to talk about some of those different hunting trips that we went on, and I want you to share with us some of your favorite memories and things that you may have learned, um, things that you've never experienced before, and some of your aha moments while we had fun together out in all the different fields. So first up was the deer hunt. Tell me about that. Uh, well, a landowner contacted my mom and he was overrun with does. So he wanted nine does off his property. So we rounded up nine youth. And we did a road trip up to North Texas and were welcomed with open arms on this landowner's property. And what happened when we got there? He led us to a barn. We set up our 
stuff, and we immediately started hunting, right? He was so excited to have youth hunters on his property that he took um, one at a time. So we went with the youth and their parent, and I went along too because I love taking pictures and videos. So the four of us would go off in his buggy or his um, Kubota, and he knew exactly where he was overrun, which part of his property, and he let us take or let the kids actually each take a deer or a doe off his property. So everyone had an amazing shot and they were very successful. We came back to the processing area and the really cool thing about it is all the other hunters were so excited for each other that everybody was standing around in a circle just waiting as that Kubota got closer and closer. They were waiting to see what was in the back of the buggy and to see what deer they got. And so everybody got to pitch in and help each other when they came back successful from the field. So up comes Luke's turn. And so tell me about your hunt. Well, we were driving around for a good 20 minutes and we finally saw one that was laying down and I really couldn't get a shot on him. So you did the right thing and you passed it up, right? Because it wasn't a good, you didn't get a good shot on that deer. So we went on to find another one for you, and this time we saw a really nice doe, and she was standing broadside, which means she was standing sideways, which is a perfect shot. So Luke got all set up, and... And I took the shot. Yeah, you took a good shot. So we were able to go over there, and you got to field dress your deer, and bring her back to the processing area. And what did you come back to? A circle of people waiting to see it. Yep. Everybody was pretty excited. So um, when we were done hunting, what did we do when everybody had their deer? We all had a great day. What did we do that evening? Do you remember? We went to a campfire with the landowner. How fun was that? Very. So tell me, why do you think um, campfires are so special? To get to know people, why they're there, what they're interested in. Do you like campfires? Yeah. Yeah. Do we tell lots of stories? Yeah. Do we tell lots of stories about each other? Yeah. Do we laugh a lot? <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think that landowner liked it? Yeah. Tell me more. Well, I it's it's pretty sure he liked it because he said next year he'd be happy to have us back. That's right. That's right. So we had a good time at that hunt. And then the next morning we got up and we cleaned up and we left the area better than we found it. And we left the property, shook hands with the landowner. And then where'd we go? We went to the pheasant hunt. Yep. We drove a couple hours across Texas onto another landowner's property who contacted us to do a pheasant hunt. So tell us about pheasant hunting in Texas, Luke. Um, It's almost impossible <laughs> for the hot weather and them not wanting to fly. 
Very true. We actually were on a game ranch, and these were pen-raised birds. Um, and the landowner actually went out into the field, and they planted the birds. So it was definitely sporting because the birds had a very fair chance. Because if you came up on them, and they jumped and flew, and you missed bye-bye, right? So the weather was definitely warmer than normal pheasant hunting weather. It was probably, what, in the 80s? It was pretty hot. The birds weren't wanting to fly very, very much. So they hunkered down quite a bit. But did you like it? Yes. What, What was the coolest part about pheasant hunting? Watching the pointer dogs point at the pheasants. I Our dogs would never do that. No, our dogs would bark their little ears off, wouldn't they? But yeah, it was really cool because we've never hunted over um, dogs before. And getting to watch pheasant hunting dogs work a field. And when they picked up the scent of a bird and they pointed and locked on, it was really cool to get to watch them do their job. What was one of the most challenging things that you learned hunting over dogs um probably not shooting them yeah them getting in the way definitely so what did you have to do with your firearm always had to keep it up and as the landowner said wait till a pheasant gets over the tree line so what other things do you have to think about when you're hunting with a firearm and now you add to the equation a dog keeping it away What does that mean? Don't be a John John. Don't be a John John. (laughs) So you had the luck of hunting in the same group as your brother. And we had to keep reminding John John to keep his firearm pointed, not at the dog. Um, Keep it pointed up a little ways, right? And every time a bird would flush, what were we saying to John John? Don't shoot the dog. Don't shoot the dog. Please don't shoot the dog. I can't afford it if you shoot the dog. (laughs) But the cool thing, though, is everybody got at least one bird, and you got a bird and I got a bird when the day was over. But I did clock on my Fitbit 11 miles walking across that pheasant field. So I feel like I definitely got my steps in that day. (laughs) So when we came back to the ranch house, what did you guys learn how to do? Skin a pheasant. What'd you learn? How to skin a pheasant. Well, how do you skin a pheasant? You take the legs, you hold the wings down with your feet, and you just lift the legs up. So of our entire group, everybody got to come home with at least one bird, and some people even shot two birds. So they got to have pheasant for Thanksgiving, didn't they? Yep. And some people took their pheasants home to get mounted. So I think ours are still at the taxidermist waiting to be mounted. But we came home, we had Thanksgiving, and what was the very next thing we did the very next morning? A duck hunt. So let's talk a little bit about our first ever flooded timber duck hunt. We drove out there in daylight, and then what? Then we, well, first of all, we set up our camp. Then we came down to the river, and he had his boat with him. So we took laps around the lake, showing us where we're going to be hunting and what to look out for. And the next morning, 
Well, back up. What are some <laughs> things we have to look out for when you're hunting ducks in, in the water? Gators. Alligators. It was pretty warm that day, too, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. What did we see swimming? Alligator. We saw about a six-foot gator cruising down the river. Not what we were expecting. What else do we have to look out for? Snakes. Okay. Do we see any snakes? Luckily not. Right? Yeah, no kidding. So we came back to camp. And what did we do that evening? Do you remember? When we came back to camp? Cook burgers. Yeah. And did we have a campfire there too? Yep. What, what was some of the memorable things that happened around our duck hunting campfire? We got to pet a dog. Yeah. <laughs> One of our friends brought his dog that we were going to hunt with. Did um, the landowner teach us how to... To breast. Breast out a duck? Yeah. Yep. Did you learn how to do that too? Yep. Was it like a pheasant? Nope. What was different? Well, if you tried to skin it the way you do a pheasant, the legs come off. Because <laughs> Matthew tried that. Did he? <laughs> Did the legs come off? And the feet came right off. Of the duck? Yep. So then what do we do around the campfire? One of the people had a guitar, and Matthew, my brother, actually played guitar, so he was strumming on his guitar, playing yeah. songs by Coulter Wall. There you go. We were singing too, weren't we? Yep. And our friend that invited us told me something. He said of all the years he's been camping, growing up as a kid and as an adult, this was the first camp out he'd ever been on that somebody brought a guitar. So that was super memorable to him having us, you know, bring out the guitar. So we go to bed. We get up super early the next morning because if you're a duck hunter, you're up at what, four o'clock? I think we were up at four and out of there by 430 so what was that experience like? We had to wear our chest waders for sure. Tell me about your first ever flooded timber duck hunt. It was kind of bad. Because as soon as we pulled up to our spot, I was scared of every noise that the woods had to offer. As you're standing, standing in water about, well, for you, you little runt, it was about, it was about chest deep or waist deep. I guess. And we got to our area that we were going to be hunting by boat. And so you literally had to kind of roll out of the boat into the water. In the dark. In the dark, only by moonlight. We had flashlights, but it was pretty dark. And we were in deep east Texas. And so the flooded timber was a bunch of cypress trees. So there was cypress knees all around us. And... (laughs) All we could see, we're, we're waiting to see the, the glowing eyes of an alligator, but fortunately we didn't see that. So Luke rolls out of the boat and he was tasked with setting out decoys. So he had this huge decoy sack and his job was to start putting decoys out. And then next rolls out John John out of the boat and he's helping. And then I roll out of the boat and then stop. Stop making fun of me. And then our friend drove away to go get our other duck hunter and his dog and bring him over to us. So the reason, well, why don't you say why you're laughing, Luke? You rolled out the boat. And then a couple of minutes later, you said, my foot's wet. 
my waiter had a leak. So that was the first experience I had was my boot started filling up. <laughs> and one of my pet peeves, I cannot stand a wet sock. If I'm walking around in socks, which I never do because of this reason, if I'm walking around in socks and I step in an ice cube puddle or something, oh my gosh, it just sends shivers down my spine. I can't stand it. And so there I was five minutes into it with a wet sock and I couldn't change my sock because I had just waders on. So we're standing there putting decoys out in the pitch dark. And then what happened? So one of the things that we have to do our duck hunt is called a sled. And it's a little boat, for lack of better terms, that you put all of your gear to keep dry. So all of our guns, our ammo, our backpacks, everything that we needed to to drag out with us to our hunting area was on the sled. So flash forward, we're standing there putting out decoys and Luke wants to tell, tell this part. We turned around and we saw our mom on her knees in the water with the sled all the way submerged underwater. (laughs) So if you can imagine um, standing in mud and muck, and if you stand still for too long, you start to sink. And I got stuck. So when I went to walk, my foot didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And I literally just leaned forward and ended up on my knees. And I was holding the sled and it sunk. So I got all of our guns totally submerged, all of our ammo totally submerged, my backpack, our snacks, everything went underwater in the East Texas flooded timber. So that was fun. That was how our morning started. But then what happened once we got to our area? We just sat there, waited for ducks. Yeah, we saw a few, didn't we? Yeah, but they're too high. Yeah, we didn't really get any good shots. But it was a lot of fun seeing the morning wake up and all the birds in the area. So that was a good time. But we did have our other friends hunted in a different area. When we came back together, um, when the hunt was over, he shot, what, two ducks? I think so. At least we got to get a picture with a duck when it was all said and done. So was that a good experience? Would you do it again? Yes, I would. What was your favorite part of duck hunting? Um, I think actually putting the decoys out because in the daylight where I could actually see, it was like I came to have a liking for walking in water. (laughs) Once you learn how to do it, right? (laughs) Well, good. So we finished that hunt, came home. A couple days later, we had our fourth and final hunt. What was that? The Guadalupe River State Park Exotic Hunt. Yep. Luke got drawn for a youth hunt, and my name was on the ticket, so I was fortunate enough to go with him. And tell us about that trip. You got pulled from school on Friday, and then what? We drove out to Guadalupe River State Park, which the first time we've been, and as soon as we checked in, it was... One of the best campsites I've ever been to with a full electrical setup, a tent, pad, picnic tables, and a fire pit. So let me just add this one thing. When I think of tent camping, I think of our Boy Scout tent camping where it's pretty much an open field 
and it's primitive. You know, there's no water, there's no electricity, there's no plugs, there's nothing. You just basically have a place to pitch your tent. It was absolutely life-changing to camp at a campsite with electricity and water. Even though we had our tent pad where we set up our tent, we had electricity. So I had my coffee pot that I brought with dual hot water maker for hot chocolate. It was absolutely life-changing. I will always, from here on forward, I will always reserve a campsite with full electricity and water, even though we're tent camping, because it was so cool. But next time we're going to bring an extension cord so we can bring that coffee pot a little bit closer to our picnic table. So tell us about what happened then the next morning when we got up and we got ready to go to our hunting location. We all gathered by the Discovery Center, all the youths. Then as soon as the park rangers showed up, we all went to the the outdoor auditorium. And they gave us a lesson about, like, the safety and what to shoot and what not to shoot. And a game warden came and told us what to do, how to mark the animals, how old they, how old they are, and a bunch of cool stuff. And then we were escorted to our blind, and we got to sit all afternoon. And what did we see that afternoon? Nothing. Could it be because it was like 91 degrees on that November? No, it was December. On that December deer hunt, unseasonable, warm weather. Luke and I were absolutely dying, sitting in the deer stand, sweating like crazy, We saw nothing, but it was really cool to sit out there and watch nature and listen to the different birds and everything. But as far as deer go, deer scored that weekend and we took a big fat zero because we didn't see anything on the first day. So came back to camp next morning, did it all over again. We got to our blind way before sunup and got all situated And we sat in that blind for 12 hours. And what did we see? Nothing. Nope. You took a little nap. Um, But a couple things that um, I learned sitting in a deer blind for 12 hours is you need to make sure that you're totally prepared. You have enough snacks. You have enough water, which we did. And Luke was very comfortable And I was curled up in a ball in about a, you know, teeny tiny spot in the corner of the blind. But Luke was comfortable in his chair and we had another good day. You know, it's not always I hate when people say it's that's why it's called hunting. But it is you don't always get something. But it was it was one of the best weekends that I'd experienced in a long time because we were we were outdoors. We were together. We had fun. We laughed told lots of good stories, and what was your most favorite part of that weekend? I think actually sitting in the blind, seeing how beautiful it is, or how good it is for you just to get out and just watch nature. Yeah, I'm such a believer that you're going to learn so much more a weekend out in the woods or out in nature than you are in a classroom. So... 
you've done a lot of hunting in your 12 years. What are some things that you've learned as a hunter that you use in your everyday life? What are some life skills or life lessons that you've learned in the field that you use every day? Definitely patience because you don't always take the first opportunity you have. I remember whenever I was little and hunting with my dad, the first thing I'd see, I'd want to shoot it. I'd want to shoot it. My dad always said, no, no, wait. And I did. And that turns out because there was a huge buck that came out. Mm-hmm. What are there some other things that you've learned? How to be quiet. Yeah, that's a huge, huge obstacle for my Rayo boys is <laughs> the gift of silence. So why is it so important to be quiet when you're out in the field? So nothing hears you okay. that you want to shoot. Yeah. So why is that important to be quiet? To have the best chance of getting something. Okay. And so using that in your everyday life, there's a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth, right? <laughs> oh, if you could see the look I just got. <laughs> so Give me one more thing that you take away from being in the field. Probably respect, as in respecting the landowner's property, what he asks, you follow those rules, uh, other hunters, and the wildlife. You try to make a clean, ethical kill and don't leave it suffering. Okay. So the respect that you've learned in the field translates to your everyday life too, right? Yep. Because it turns you into a respectful young man. That's right. So any last minute things that you would like to say about your hunting experience or somebody that wants to get involved in hunting? I'd probably say you got to wait for an opportunity to get something big. That's right. That's right. So there is no better classroom than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters and making memories that will last a lifetime. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm with my youngest, Luke. And you've heard another North American Outdoors podcast. For more information, visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow me on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day.